Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm a professor at Emory University and I am joined by Mr. Doug Battle. How are you today, Doug? Coming back into it after this uh, Christmas holiday break. Yeah, Mike, I'm fantastic. Uh, Georgia, you know, I, I said... <laughs> always I, always sure, right out the gate. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I said at some point the bowl games don't matter, but... This weekend, I realized that once you're eliminated from the playoff and at the point when nothing matters in your eyes, it kind of becomes like Little League where it's like they're just playing just to play. And it's just fun. Uh, So I actually really enjoyed bowl season, partially because we won a a close game. (laughs) Um, And... uh, yeah, lots of lots of fun football over the last couple of days. The NFL has gotten very interesting. Unfortunately, my New York Giants were eliminated from the playoffs yesterday <laughs> after a six and ten season where they were absolutely robbed of a playoff spot. That's let me bad. tell you, six and ten is good. You know, it's uh... <laughs> okay. So, so let me put a let's put a verbal timestamp on this one. We are taping this at nine forty three on January fourth. The reason why I want to put a timestamp on this one is I want to spend some time today, just sort of a look ahead, projecting out what's going to happen in the world of sports in uh, two thousand and twenty one. Um, it's you know, obviously twenty twenty has been the great disruption mm-hmm. everything you know you see a lot of articles about how how we how we live is going to change i think entertainment and culture and really kind of any of the performing arts are going to be uh, particularly impacted by how the world evolves and so let's make uh, let's spend today as we go into 2021 making some predictions about what we're likely to see now i, I i've been on record i think there's sports was changing anyways, right? This is um, the the historical environment where people watch sports on broadcast TV, move to cable, has been under fire for the longest time. I, mm-hmm. I think I've asked you this in, in the past. Have you ever owned cable TV? Uh, not on my own bill, no. Okay. I mean, I, I lived in a household that did for a while. Um, okay. But when I ever since I've been a 
adult it's been youtube tv or, or something of that nature okay. so we you know we've and so cable cutting has been the the sort of the big technological change uh in terms of changing sports consumption now what's happened in 2020 is we've had covid and the events that followed have really accelerated these things and left the left the world of entertainment and sports in kind of a strange place now i'll also say this and part of the reason why i timestamp this is the other major trench and look you know feel free to push back i mean sports is part of the culture and the culture is incredibly polarized and political so i i think whenever you talk about predictions of how this is going to go you have to you have to and unfortunately you have to wade into the world of politics and mm-hmm. you know i i think of stories like you know I'll, I'll give you a couple quick ones right it's like your preference for the Sarah Fuller story, the future, you know, of the 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 best player on Vanderbilt this year, and your preference for social justice messages on the back of jerseys is pretty highly correlated with how you vote politically. Yeah, and, and yeah. so you know these forces, you know, however you view them, you've got to acknowledge that they're really pushing how this world of sports and entertainment are evolving. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, 2020 politicized almost everything, um, looking at industries and, and especially in, in pop culture. Um, and sports is certainly part of the entertainment industry. And I, I think you saw that trickle over from what was once a Hollywood type movement uh, making its way into ESPN, making its way onto these teams and, and even these players on an individual level. Um, and so I would certainly expect a continuation of that yeah. in 2021. Um, as far as what it does to the sports fan, I think we've already seen it, it, it is a little bit divisive and it rubs people from a, a you know certain background or, or certain yeah, viewpoints like, of the I, wrong way. I can hear and it. In, so, I can hear it in your voice, and it's like and this is one of the, well, this is one of these ongoing themes: the the trepidation of not wanting to touch that that third rail. But it, it's funny because that third rail of politics or political correctness is you know it's a it's a driving factor in all this. It's yeah. it's really kind of critical. So let's um. Well, I, you know, and we, we can structure this in some different ways. What I want to do is go through some of the major sports and some of the leagues and just kind of predict where they're going to end up in terms of where they're at. And and, it, and it's tough to do, right? Because I don't want to say, mm-hmm. you know, the, the revenues are going to be up versus 2020 or versus 2019. But in terms of their relative position in the sports pantheon, mm-hmm. how are they going to fare? Who's trending up? Who's trending down? Um, perhaps we do this in order of their championships, though I'll immediately contradict myself and let's do the, uh, the football leagues, college football and the NFL last, given that they sort of just kind of drift over the, the end of the year. So mm-hmm. our first major championship would be college basketball. And so what are, you, what are your thoughts on college basketball? I'll let you start and then I'll sort of jump in. My first thought is that I've heard very little about college basketball relative to the typical year up until this point. Um, We both know why. It's because it's still football season. It's because football got a late start. We haven't even entered the NFL playoffs yet. Uh, College football hasn't gotten to the national championship yet. We're just now getting there. And so 
for a lot of fans, uh, particularly in in SEC country, basketball it doesn't even make the feed on their ESPN app. Uh, you know, with, with the algorithm and, and with the <laughs> the algorithm knowing them until football's out of the way. And so I think at this point, basketball has nowhere to go but up. I think once football, uh, college football particularly comes to a close um we're going to start seeing a lot of that fandom reallocated to to basketball and and i mean i certainly know around here that'll be the case um i i completely understand that at kentucky and north carolina those guys year-round breathe basketball i'm not talking about the super fans i'm talking about the big numbers um we're where TV networks get their ratings and uh, and these schools really see their revenue. See, I I tend to be a little pessimistic on college basketball. It's um, hmm. I, I agree with you. It, it it seems to have been kind of pushed. One of the, one of the interesting things uh, with how the world is evolving is it does seem like there's a little bit more. And maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe this is just perceptions that there's more concentration in terms of what's being covered and what's and what's not being covered. And, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I feel like college basketball has been largely pushed off the pushed off the yeah. screens. And so it's question is, how much do they come back? My my sort of being bearish position on college basketball is related to some of the other some of the other long term factors in all this. You know, we, we've discussed uh, the threat of the G League the 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 notion that some top prospects may go play internationally and you know college basketball has you know suffered a little bit in terms of losing some of their stars over time and, and so is all of that going to I'm I'm sort of talking relative in a relative sense are they sort of the let's say the big league, the big type of sports, it's a little bit under pressure. The The other thing that I'm concerned about from their perspective is that, I, and I don't know what they're planning for at this moment, but I would guess very few or no fans at the NCAA tournament, Yep. in which case they will have gone two years, well, <laughs> one year with no tournament and then one year with kind of a damaged product and college basketball, probably more than anything else, they need that tournament, right? That that championship is where they build their following, where they build their brands. Yeah, you touched on pretty much everything I was going to say um, as far as the G League and the fact that a lot of these potential big moneymaker players for the NCAA and for different colleges are now choosing to go elsewhere where they can make money. Um, and it, it certainly puts the NCAA in a bind. Uh, it puts these schools in a bind. And it may not be like it may, you may not notice it while you're watching a game, but it's, you know, there's certain big time Zion type brands that ESPN could be creating and, and, bringing in viewers with um, that just aren't there anymore. I mean, uh, there's a percentage of those guys that are that are just gone. Um, so that's certainly a factor. And then the NCAA tournament, I think the fact that there wasn't one last year, I've heard more people predict that there's not going to be a tournament this year solely based mm -hmm. on last year. And so there's this feeling of like, well, this game doesn't really matter because there's not even going to be a tournament what's, or they're going to do a tournament and every team's going to be in it. Or so the, it's going to be weird. What's the logic? I mean, I know the 
I think it's the Duke's woman team basically shut down their season, right? Is there is that the concern that there's going to be? I think it's just the gathering of so many different mm. teams in one location, no. or, or you know, at these one locations, and the fact that that would be difficult to pull off. I I personally uh, expect it to happen this year, but I, th- I again I think there's a little bit of uh, PTSD for fans from last year as far as. If you're a Dayton fan last year and you think you're winning the national championship and it's the greatest year in Dayton history, and then it turns out, oh, just kidding, there's not even a tournament and this year doesn't really matter and nobody cares. And now now your best player is going to the NBA and you got to start from scratch next year. Um, I think there's a certain sense of just like hmm. people are kind of protecting themselves from being in that position, just being like, I just am going to go about it as if there's no tournament. Very fair. And then, you know, I think that. Kind of, so under under stress in terms of mm-hmm. losing the the stardom the star power, and then potentially a couple of down years. It, it, the question does become: Do they fade into a bit of oblivion? Do they lose their status as a major sports event and sort of just go down? You know, because there's a there's a hierarchy to these things with the Super Bowl at the top. Does the right. NCAA tournament shift down shift down on another level? I would say they're probably about they are as vulnerable as anyone at the, at the moment. Okay, so the on the other side of this coin, the uh, the basketball coin, what do you think about the NBA? The NBA, um, they were the big winner, which I know is, it's weird to say because their numbers were horrible. Um, but just the fact that they pulled off the, the bubble season and had no positive cases and had an NBA Finals and their guy LeBron got a ring uh conveniently um all worked out in the nba's favor so i i think all of that was good i do think that it, it has certainly dropped off uh there's no doubt from before corona and i don't think that will change i don't think it's gonna i don't think they're gonna break any records uh with the numbers and viewership well, but as a whole let me let me let me add to that and i'll let you continue i i suspect yeah. you're right that Sports as a whole may have shrunk and become more uh, segment-oriented than mass market-oriented. So I, I suspect that there is going to be, you know, and that's why I said with sort of the the relative health of all these different leagues and championships. Right. But I, I think, yeah, definitely there's a bit of division where, and, and like I've been out there, it's like, you know, I, I think people used to grow up as like Chicago guys while well, you were into the Bulls, the Bears, the Cubs, sorry, Sox, uh, Blackhawks. But now I do suspect that they are, there's going to be a little bit of a division. That goes back to the the politicized notion of all this. Yeah, and that was what I was getting to next. Is like the NBA is probably a younger demographic and a more diverse demographic than uh, most of these leagues. Definitely the MLB, definitely the yeah. NFL. Well, let me, and so, let me so, add, add to that. Yeah, you're, you're right it. that the NBA is probably about 10 years younger, the median age of the fans. And in terms of the viewership, and you know, demographics are hard to measure, that the the NBA is far more diverse than, um, mm-hmm. I think the NBA viewership is about 50% white, 50% non-white, whereas it's going to be a, a different ratio, a much whiter ratio with some of the right. other leagues. Right, and so I think that a lot of the stuff that's, you know, the Kaepernick kneeling and, and a lot of this controversy in these other leagues tends to be a lot less controversial to NBA fans because it's a little bit more 
uh, I don't want to say groupthink, but it's a little bit more everyone's on the same page. And so it's almost like they're um, pandering to, to their own fans and it actually kind of works for them in a weird way. But now I, I know there are fans that are not about you know what the NBA is doing and, and want nothing to do with it and that are upset about it. Um, I'm just saying from a number standpoint, it's like the NBA is the least affected by that because they have such a, a left-leaning audience. And so I actually think that some of that has done well for them uh, as far as like people feel an allegiance and, and they feel like the NBA is doing it right and they feel like you know they can get behind the NBA uh, and that they have some questions about Roger Goodell and, and the NFL and how they're doing things. And, and so um, I actually think the NBA's brand, it's more... It's I, I think it's less divided, but it's probably smaller um, because it's it's just catering to a certain group of people, in my opinion. Uh, I'll come out there and I'll say I'm actually pretty bullish on the NBA as well. I, I do th- I agree with very much what you're saying, and I think it's look the NBA was the most political of the leagues in terms yeah. of how they approached the return from from COVID, um, and and I think you're right that that, that maybe they've gotten a little bit smaller in terms of their potential appeal, but they are actually now more consistent with the audience that they are trying to Mm -hmm. appeal to. I also think the NBA has some real strengths in terms of how the, the world of technology is, is evolving where they are in a position. There's no other league that can touch the NBA for star power with the 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 online presence of guys like you know LeBron James and yep. and some of the other superstars they are the equivalent of pop stars of uh, you know whatever whatever genre you, you, you want to think about movie stars pop stars rock stars they are the modern equivalent and so as the media shifts because look dude when you when you cut your professor says dude right when you cut your cable one of the things that i think you end up losing out on is you're not watching the local birmingham or atlanta newscast right yeah there's a tendency for things to move to a more national or international level and so the nba is very well positioned for that the other thing that we got to acknowledge is that the nba has created, and, and I see this whenever I teach, uh, especially programs with a lot of international students, the, you know, the Chinese do love the NBA. That yep. is probably their primary sports outlet, even more than things like uh, English Premier League soccer. So the, the NBA is is probably kind of suffering a little bit at the moment, but in terms of being positioned for the future, mm-hmm absolutely bullish on the NBA. Whether or not that shows up in 2021 or later um, is is an open question. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I think they're tremendously well positioned. And like I said, I think that having an audience that's more focused um, causes for an easier path for the NBA yeah. to, to achieve, um, you know, satisfaction in their fans. They don't, everything's not as divisive in the NBA. And again, there's always divide. It's America in, in 2021. Um, it's just how things are. But the the whole Black Lives Matter movement and having that painted on the courts, I mean, there, there really wasn't much controversy among NBA fans for any of that. If that had happened in college football, for example, um, you would have had, I, I would say you'd have people not showing up to the games, but uh, that's not an issue anyway. <laughs> Agreed. 
Okay, next one's going to be kind of easy for us to discuss and easy for us to discuss because I don't think either of us knows a whole lot about that, but the NHL. Yeah, the NHL. Um, well, the, I'll go first this one. You know, we'll give you a little bit. Of, you can react to me this time. I think the NHL got lost in COVID. Yeah. Um, when When the NBA came back, they came back with a lot of cameras on them in, in the bubble. And when the NHL came back, they, I don't think anyone was really covering them. Uh, and you know, it's all, it's all comparative. Uh, the NHL's ratings were actually lower for their finals than the NBA ratings were. I think it was about 60% off for the NHL versus 50% off for, for the NBA. I think that the NHL has, you know, the NHL has never had the big TV presence. It's never had the big social media presence. It's been very much a local game that relied on people going out to the bars to watch the game or going out to the arena. You know, the NHL experience is probably might actually be the best. The in-game, in-arena experience might be the best of all the leagues. Yeah. But they lost all that in COVID. And so, and again, you know, without sort of a lot of, people being in arenas or bars in this next season, in some ways they're going to suffer from what college basketball suffered for. And I do kind of worry about the NHL kind of dropping out of, you know, these groups separating into major sports and less major sports. Yeah. And you know, the NHL is certainly concerned about that. Um, Like you said, the, the atmospheres for these leagues have a lot to do with how, how much success they have amidst, this pandemic, the NBA, uh, notoriously known in the regular season for dry crowds, uh, very little energy from the crowds because they play so many games. Same with MLB. They play so many games. It feels like they don't matter. They don't sell out a lot of the games. Uh, playoffs are a different story. But at that point, I, I think a lot of the audience is already hooked in um, for the NBA. NHL and college basketball, like, how much of it is just the energy, the excitement of watching and feeling this like electric crowd through the screen and a game-winning goal in the third period? I mean, it, it is just it feeds off of that audience so much, and I think the TV audience tunes in for that more than they realize. And so you take that out of it, and it's just dudes skating around, um, hitting a hockey puck. And I, I think it's a lot less interesting to people. I also think I know a lot of hockey fans that maybe don't watch the games on TV per se, but they kill to go to a game because yeah. it's so fun to go to. And I think that's, um, I mean, I, I think it's huge for the NHL. So, let, me do a, let me do a little experiment here. Yeah. Just off the top of your head, name a hockey player. Sidney Crosby. Keep going. <laughs> Dang it, Mike! <laughs> no, I mean, you know, and my point is, you know, what what I want to say is, I want to say uh, Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. I mean, it's, it, the, the, I, I think that's the other issue that the NHL has is that they the have branding not, those, they have not created, they have not been able to create these uh, these these guys that transcend being athletes to becoming popular. Media There's figures. no LeBron. There's no LeBron James. Yeah. Uh, and I think even the NFL's done a better job in recent years with a Patrick Mahomes, uh, kind of molding him into more of a LeBron figure, um, making him more of an all-around 
media figure and not just a football player. I think that's something that NBA has been the masters of in, in this previous generation with Kobe Bryant. I mean, really going back to Michael Jordan. Right. Uh, Jordan, Bryant, and LeBron, and, and a number of, I mean, you could name well, 40 players in there off, I mean, easily that are global brands that have value and, and mean something to a lot of people can't say that about very many sports leagues. I think the MLB struggles in that area as well as the NHL. I mean, a, very much a quick history lesson, you know, in the, in the, the NBA was a disaster of a league in the 1970s with the championships being played on tape delay. And then uh, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, Larry and Magic showed up and then they figured out how to do Michael Jordan or Michael Jordan figured out how to do Michael Jordan. And since then, you're right, Michael to Kobe to LeBron. And, you know, the the issue with the NBA is always going to be, well, who's that next name? But, yeah, it, the, and the NHL does not have that. Now, I think you also referenced in there, and maybe I'm uh, just projecting in terms of where I want to go next. So, well, I'll, I'll say NHL is kind of a sell for me. Or can I say one more thing about the yeah. NHL? Uh one area they're trying to take advantage of is the acceptance of outdoor sports uh, relative to indoor sports mm. because of COVID protocols or whatnot. So I have seen that the NHL is planning games at Lake Tahoe this year, which I will say is is quite the interesting um, approach for them. And I think that that tells you all you need to know about them realizing we've got to do something different because this last season when we got buried – uh, amidst the NBA Finals and the World Series and football starting, uh, we, we've got to find a way to make it interesting to people, and, and we've got to innovate a little bit here. And I'm not saying that's the, the most groundbreaking thing that's ever happened in sports, but I, I do think it's an indicator of, of the state of the NHL at the moment. And you're right, and, and I think that's a very smart thing for them to do, You know, to get away from the COVID protocols and to make it an event, right? And, the, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the key mm-hmm. for the NHL, make it an event. Mm-hmm. The NA, Look, at the NHL needs to figure out how to make their product an event and how to make their people stars. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next one on the schedule, Major League Baseball. MLB. Like, I feel like the baseball fans I know were watching baseball this summer. And again, I know the numbers are down just like they were for, for NBA and NFL and all the rest. But um, I personally, I feel like MLB is already struggling <laughs> from from the standpoint of not having those big brand, the, the LeBron James uh, type brands. And there's so many struggling franchises that have been for so long. And you see so many empty stadiums throughout a baseball season uh, for the majority of teams, uh, I'm not saying completely empty, but you're not seeing sellouts on a regular basis. It is not college football in, in that sense. And so uh, college football in the SEC, I should add. Um, so baseball is always, to me, is just kind of in a position where it's like, they. I think they really need to work to keep up with the other major sports leagues. And I think they, they're getting passed by by everybody just about uh, as far as basketball and football are concerned. Um, but at the same, with that said, I think they have less to lose amidst COVID. And I think that they're able to kind of maintain the status quo a little bit better than a league that's really thriving right now. 
Yeah, there's some things I like about baseball and some things I definitely th- that agree with some threats, right? Relatively older fan base. Yeah. In, in some ways, it's the mirror image of the of the NBA in terms of diversity and, and age. Now, the thing I like about Major League Baseball fan bases is you go out to a, a baseball game and that's where you're going to see the kids. Yeah. So it, it's hard to bet against the league that has the the family segments and the children that are still being funneled into fandom for a for for a sport. Now, I do fully sort of comprehend that baseball may be a game that is actually sort of built for kids and older people. Sort of the the nature of the game. There's no slam mm-hmm. dunks, right? It's kind of a beautiful rather than an exciting game in some ways. Sorry, MLB. Uh, baseball also has the, but baseball has some nice advantages, right? They're going to be the, they're, they're largely an outdoor sport. They may be hitting the sweet spot in terms of timing that maybe with COVID and the vaccines that the, you know, they're going to be more in a position to actually start to put decent amount of people into stands in 2021. Uh, but I whenever I look, whenever I think about, and I think you kind of alluded to this. Whenever I think about basketball, I, I tend to think about baseball as sort of something that is kind of different. Um, where maybe those two sports end up really kind of dividing the seg the the sports fans into two segments, where yeah. the NBA gets the the folks that are really interested in the star power. It's more international. It is kind of more celebrity driven, whereas yep. Major League Baseball maybe becomes, you know, the, a little bit of a step back, but it's more of a local event. It's more family oriented. It's kind of more traditional. And so maybe both of those sports drop back a little bit, um, but become very stable. Yeah, I, I I can certainly see that. I, I feel like the NBA wants to overthrow the NFL like wants to become the league um but like what you said looking at their audience and looking at how they cater to that audience it does seem like it is a probable outcome um that it's going to be a very steady and um healthy I guess rise and uh rather than a large jump and and then the NBA being kind of out of their depth uh, same with the MLB. I mean, I think the MLB has just got to focus on maintaining a, a fan base and keeping because they've got such an old crowd, like growing those younger numbers over these next couple of years. Uh, we'll see what happens, but it is certainly a, a tale of uh, two very different leagues there. Okay, before we get to the sort of the two big dogs in all this, the football leagues, right? I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want to talk about MLS? Well, you know what? Now that I said it, I feel obligated. So I'll, I'll, I'll say this MLS. about I'll say this yeah. about MLS, and I'm a little bit leery to talk about MLS because I think being in Atlanta, I may have a bit of a skewed perspective on how that league is doing. Over the last few years, the Atlanta United have been an amazing local story, putting you know sixty thousand people into people love it into watching to watching soccer. In a football state, in in an American football state, football Americano. Yeah, and the thing that has been unique about the United um, in Atlanta is I think I see more Atlanta United 
jerseys and shirts around than any other of the professional sports teams. Definitely more than the Hawks. Yeah, definitely. Um, without question. It, yeah. And so they have been this kind of it, now and I also think it's a relatively younger demor- demographic. It, it seems to almost be like the hipster crowd yeah. has really embraced it. People, people love to be like, "Oh, you've never been to to a game, Atlanta United game? Oh, it's so much better than the other sports." <laughs> oh, yeah, I go all the time, trust me. I know like I've been to a college football game but this is so much better. Like, there's def- definitely that crowd that loves to have something something on you that, well, that it, they've done that you haven't. And, I, and I'll reference something here. For the last few years, we've been doing a survey um, in class with uh, cooperating with the local professional teams. And if you take a look at the segments of sports fans, you very much do see, and this is a, this is a little Atlanta-specific, but there's definitely a split between let's say the classic Atlanta sports fan with a preference for things like the Braves and the Georgia Bulldogs. And then this anti-traditionalist, which was really all in on the United. And, and so, you know, Atlanta's an interesting market where you know, have a lot of transplants, but I do think soccer, at least for that moment, you know, pre COVID had been building some momentum as the new sports league you know this was going to be the next big thing and yeah i don't think this was just happening in atlanta i think it was happening in places like seattle in orlando you were starting to see crowds of 30,000 25,000 in different markets i think mls really took a hit from covid because i think that's where they lost you know you you didn't see people walking around in t-shirts because you didn't see people over the last year and you sure didn't get a lot of MLS coverage on places like ESPN. No, they, they certainly don't get as much media coverage. And like the NHL, I think so much of it is it, it's a sport that's more driven by people going to the game. People, I know people that consider themselves Atlanta United fans that maybe go to five games a year and watch one or two on television, whereas Georgia football fans that I know watch – 12 games a year on television and go to one game. Uh, so the, there's so much less of an emphasis on TV and, and there's so much more of an excitement surrounding the games relative to watching the games on TV. It's like it's 100 times better to go to the game and watch it on TV, whereas in college football, it's like maybe like 50% better. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think that's huge for MLS. The uh, interesting thing with MLS to me is... Like looking at a fan that rejects the Atlanta Falcons and the Atlanta Hawks, but is a huge Atlanta United fan. Um, the Atlanta United have had a, a relatively good team. I mean, given that they they won the league, of course, a few years back um, over the last couple of years in a league that is not the premier soccer league in the world. This is not the major sports league for soccer. Um, it, it's almost like a minor league in, in oh, a it, sense. It totally is. I, I think in terms of worldwide rankings, they tend to be viewed as about the about the 10th best league in the world. Right. And so when you have a top 10 team and the 10th best team in the 10th best league in the world, um, and then next door you have the Falcons who are maybe a like middle of the pack football team over the last couple of years uh the atlanta hawks maybe like bottom third of the nba but those leagues 
the NFL is the best football league. I mean, that's that means the the Falcons are middle of the pack. They're they're top fifteen football team in the world. Uh, there there aren't more than thirty teams that can beat them in football. Same with the Hawks. They're top thirty, <laughs> uh, but probably top twenty five, top twenty somewhere in that range basketball team in the world. But fans in Atlanta have have found themselves, or many fans have found themselves leaning toward the big fish in a small pond with the, the Atlanta United rather than, uh, I mean, for me, it's I've always felt like I want to watch the best of the best. Like we live in America and we have the luxury of doing that. And so anything less than that, I'm not very interested in. Uh, but so many people are so interested in watching this team that is has the chance to be the best in a league that isn't the best. Um, and, and that's the mystery of the MLS to me as a sports fan. I think that's very fair. And, you know, for a lot of folks, uh, th- this was one of the concerns about soccer in the U.S. for the longest time, right? The the idea that, you know, America, are Americans going to watch a minor league team? And the Atlanta United is a great example of this in that the, these guys actually have a different business model than you're going to see a different, um, it, it, you know, for different franchises and in different leagues. You know, when the, when the Falcons acquire top edge talent, the Falcons need to make a decision of whether or not they're going to pay big money to retain that talent. Mm-hmm. But the Falcons are doing so with the idea of sort of long-term competitiveness and winning championships, theoretically. In, in the case of MLS, right, it's, it's, a, it's a fundamentally different business model. You are about the eighth, ninth, 10th, or 11th best league in the world. So when you develop stars, what happens? They, they get purchased. And in fact, you're looking for them to get purchased. And in soccer, they talk about this idea of selling players. You're selling players. You're taking transfer fees for these Which guys. I'll, I'll go ahead and add in in uh, PC America 2021. Probably could have a better term. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just from an optics standpoint, probably 100%. when you're when you're discussing athletes, uh, maybe a better term to use. But but you know. <laughs> you know, I don't know that we're capable of political correctness, so we'll just sort of ride the waves here. Uh, speak for yourself, Mike. <laughs> okay. But but so, the, you know, the idea is that if you have success, that success is going to move on and you're going to take financial uh, uh, compensation for that. And so it's a different business model where you're continually trying to reinvest to create stars versus trying to get a guy like Tom Brady that's going to stick around for for decades. So it. You know what? Tricky, tricky business. Okay, so let's move on to, like I said, the two big dogs in all of this. Uh, college football, sort of your favorite sport, I believe. What do you think? College football's had an inter- had an interesting season, right? And it continues to be an interesting playoff with Ohio State that played how many regular season games? Five six. or six? Six, um, yeah. Now competing for a championship against Alabama. Ohio State versus Alabama in the championship game seems like it's happened in four out of the last six seasons. I know that's not true, but it's an interesting game at this moment. It's two of those teams that's always in there. Um, The other one being Clemson, of course. I think Clemson, Alabama would have been pretty fatiguing for sports Mm -hmm. fans. Kind of like when we had Cavaliers against the Warriors for like eight years in a row, it felt like. Um, That's hyperbole. I understand it wasn't eight years. Um, This matchup, to me... 
is actually kind of interesting. Like, I, I think it's good for college football because there's been so much criticism of the Big Ten and the fact that they canceled the season early and it was going to cost them a playoff spot. And then they only played a certain number of games and they shouldn't have had a team. Ohio State shouldn't be in the playoff in the first place. Alabama's earned their way there. Ohio State hasn't. But now Ohio State has a chance to beat Alabama just like they beat Clemson. I mean, Davo Sweeney had Ohio State ranked number 11 in his poll, which was public, going into that last game, uh, basically telling them, I don't think you belong here. And Ohio State beat them. And it's fun for Ohio State fans. It's infuriating to Ohio State haters, of which there are many. Um, and it creates this this storyline of like the the team that's earned it versus the team that got handed a playoff spot and now just has to win two games. And even if they win it, there's people that are always going to, going to, you know, take it with, with a grain of salt because of the fact that they only played six regular season games and they were healthier and, and in a better position, um, health wise. And, and, you know, as far as the amount of film they'd put out for other opposing teams going into the playoff. So good narrative, but let me let me ask you this: Does college football have a competitive balance problem? Does college yes. football need more parity? Yes, they absolutely. I mean, we've talked about this before, but in college football, it's like the NFL. If the team that won the Super Bowl turned around and got the number one pick every year, um, that's college football. That's Alabama. That's Clemson. That's Ohio State. That's Oklahoma. Um, and then there, you know, just tier right under that um, with, with quite a few teams as well, and then a huge drop off from those teams to the next. And so, absolutely, Mike. I think, uh, I mean, I personally think college football needs to to have a league where there's a little bit more parity as far as schedules are concerned. I think that would certainly help uh, people like the college football playoff committee to determine which teams are the best. Um, but as far you, as are you in favor of going to an eight team uh, playoff? Yeah, I've I've never been against that. I mean, there's always going to be an odd man out. For example, this year Georgia would have been number nine, and Cincinnati would have been eight, and Georgia fans would have felt like, oh, if we'd played their schedule, we would have been in, and and then we went on to beat Cincinnati in the bowl game. So I mean, there's always going to be that scenario. Uh, but I certainly think the best team in the country. Well, you can argue that number five is the best team. Let I don't me think continue. You can number- let me continue to interrupt here. Yes. Um, now the expanding this to an eight-team tournament. One of the one of the strange things about all of this is the number of dominant wins that have occurred in the playoffs over time. You know, twenty-point victories. Yeah. Are you going to move to a playoff and have Alabama beat Cincinnati in round one by forty points? Yeah, I mean that that's a great question and I think um I think the answer is it's more of a to make everyone feel like it's a fair process kind yeah. of situation but also to put more brands out there. I mean there's if you only watched the college football playoff, you would think that there were like six college football teams mm-hmm. as far as if you watched it for its entirety from from the first playoff up until now if every year that's all you watch just like some basketball fans only watch March Madness. Um, and you get to see all these different schools from year to year and and different programs and different cultures. Um, football, it's like, okay, you got Dabo Sweeney, you got Nick Saban, you got Lincoln Riley, and then that fourth spot is either Ohio State with Ryan Day or 
Oklahoma or Georgia one year or Washington one year or maybe Oregon at some point. Um, but it's the same it's the same thing every year. And so I think having eight teams, like those numbers five through through eight, those are all over the place from year to year. Like yeah. some years it's some years it's Auburn and Georgia. Um, some years it's uh, Oregon. Some years it's Oklahoma State. Some years it's Baylor. I mean, it's it's in Cincinnati this year. Looking at them, Coastal Carolina had a chance this year. So I think f- from the standpoint of giving those teams a chance, having more of a Cinderella, the the chance of a Cinderella story, the feeling that something exciting might happen. Because this year, looking at it, you pretty much knew Notre Dame just got smashed by Clemson. They're going to lose to Alabama, and then the only competitive game, you know, going into it is Clemson, Ohio State. Um, and then everybody kind of feels like, I don't know, it's just everyone's just kind of like, who cares if Ohio State, Clemson, or Alabama win a championship? Like, what if what if we gave Cincinnati the chance? What if we gave Coastal Carolina the chance? Because wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't it be interesting to watch to see how they would compete? So, it, I mean, that, that's my take on an 18 it, it does seem in, inevitable that that's where it needs to go because I, I think you've kind of nailed it. Like this idea that they're these evolving tiers with Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State kind of in the top tier, and then there's second tier. Because, you know, as you're talking about this, I I, I think about schools like Florida. Mm-hmm. Florida seems like a long shot to make the college football playoff. USC seems like a long shot to make the college football yeah. playoff. And so it's like these, these historical programs, you know, Texas they A&M to, this year too. Yeah, they seem to be on the outs, and so you know, moving towards having more of that kind of Michigan, right? Michigan, Florida, kind of these real blue bloods of football, and then having an opportunity. And look, this is kind of a pet peeve of mine: having an opportunity for the Cincinnati's or the BYU's or the Northern Illinois or the uh, UCF's, the these schools that have magical seasons that then do not even get a shot. And mm-hmm. winning the championship strikes me as the uh, kind of the problem. So to, to sum up before we move on to the NFL, I think college football is kind of, you know, it, it's a juggernaut in some ways. It's not the juggernaut. It's it's kind of the junior juggernaut. Um, they've got built-in fan bases, great product. It is, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's trending up, but I think it's a very stable business. I, you know, again, maybe everything's taking a small step back. College football strikes me as a very healthy opportunity. I think so too, and I think that college football's got to look at itself. College football, you know, NCAA's got to look at things and and uh, figure out what can we do better. How how can we make this more appealing to more people and more interesting to our fans? And like like I said, I think that I think that 18 playoff. Um, I don't think it's as much about the Cincinnati Alabama game where Alabama's probably going to blow them out. I think it's more about the other 12 games on a regular schedule for Cincinnati fans and feeling like they matter because this going undefeated in the regular season, and this has happened quite a few times with teams like that. That you go undefeated and then you still don't get in because you're not. Alabama, you're not Oklahoma, you're not. Whereas Alabama can go a season, play two hard games, lose one of them, and not make it to the SEC championship and still make the playoff and win the national championship. And that's what happened in 2017, 2018. So um, I, I think it makes all the games more meaningful to a Boise State, to a UCF, to even a USC. Uh, 
I mean, of course, if USC goes undefeated, they're probably going to make it. But that they may not have this year because of because of COVID and the scheduling and and uh, the you know circumstances. And so I think expanding it uh, makes the whole of college football, all of these schools, feel involved in the process of creating a champion, not just these couple of conferences and these couple of juggernauts within these conferences. Okay. And so juggernaut is the key word because I, and I think that's largely because Deadpool, Deadpool two has been on um, gosh. Hulu <laughs> and I think I've watched it three times over break. Oh gosh. <laughs> okay. So the, uh, that brings us to the, the NFL, the NFL, look, it's, it is the dominant sports league. It is the, you know, it, it, it's a league that has year round event status, you know, from the draft to the combine to the Super Bowl week. It is, but but it is also a league that has um, also suffered a bit of a drop off, right? And look, there's not a lot of fans in in stands. Um, the ratings are down about seven percent for the year, which is better than the other leagues, but it is a it's a significant drop off. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, I see the NFL as continuing to be the the dominant league going forward. It is, and to me, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, it's still, it's the one unifying league at this point where everyone still sort of jumps in, right? So maybe baseball and basketball split the audience, but the NFL's still chugging along. Yeah, and I, I think it all starts and ends with the Super Bowl for the NFL. The fact that that championship is is the ultimate event not just in sports, but yeah. in our culture, um, and also the fact. I mean, c- comparing it to college football, you have. Can I can I tell you something about the Super Bowl? I actually refer to that as a marketing holiday. It is yeah. the marketing holiday. It's a very strange thing, but it's where sports and marketing it all comes together. Yeah, and I'll tell you this: it's it's the one marketing event that uh, the people being marketed to embrace. You don't you don't see people get fired up for commercials for a Doritos commercial, yeah, or a, another political ad throughout the year. But come Super Bowl time, we are we are sitting on our couches on the edge of our seats, waiting for the next commercial in hopes that'll be as good as the ones from the past, and it just never is. Now, I'll, I'll throw in two more things about the NFL. Why I think that the future remains bright despite some current struggles. Gambling. There is no other league that does a better job and is more built for gambling fantasy football fantasy football uh, you know the and with some the way that some of the technology is going for related to things like in-game gambling you know are they going to make this extra point are they going to be go for two gambling adds so much excitement to sports it's something that people don't want to talk about necessarily but it is something that has been a backbone of the NFL's growth over over the years and, and continues to be it. The other one I want to highlight is the NFL, sort of different than all these other leagues, has college football, right? Yeah. And so the NFL actually has, think about the marketing benefits that college football supplies to the NFL. College football has been all about in a way, this this past season, there been a there's a the big name quarterback at Clemson, and there was a big name quarterback at Ohio State, and guess where they're going next year? NFL, NFL, right? And so the NFL has evolved to a system that you know, never say never, but 
a system that is so supported and so so supported by this college football, so ingrained in American culture. Um, you know, it drives ESPN's revenue, so ESPN gives them all sorts of attention. It's like I said, kind of unstoppable. Now, I, I will say the one downside for the NFL is they don't do stardom at the level of the NBA. But they're they getting better, I think. I think okay, they're getting but, better. But they don't have the, and they also don't have the big time potential as an international sport. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, getting back to to what you were just saying, I think that the NFL is is. I guess college football is the minor league, the only minor league that's followed religiously by fans. And and the players are followed from the time they're in eighth grade uh, by these fans that are following recruiting. And they follow these storylines from the time these guys are eighth grade up until they're in college. Well, it's very easy for the NFL to take those players and and – Take those fans with them uh, to to continue that storyline rather than build it from scratch. And so I think the NFL benefits greatly from from having that religiously followed minor league in in college football. And I, I'm sure I guess you could say the same for the NBA. Um, the difference is that college football has a little bit more time to build these brands and, and to build up these players to a point of of having a name that's recognized and and that's connected with and associated with um memories and, and or whatnot for many fans whereas college basketball has a very short time for many of its prospects that go to the nba okay so to put a exclamation point on today's episode as we go into 2021 i'll let you make one prediction, and then I'll and look. I as I formulate this question in my head, I haven't thought it through, so I don't know what my prediction is going to be yet. So, answer slowly. One prediction for a breakout sports star in 2021, or even just something, you know, a breakout event. How is the you know what's going to be the most impactful thing to happen in sports in this coming year? Wow, that is a huge. Huge question. Uh, my first prediction that comes to mind is like I've been saying, like Nets Lakers finals, uh, easy, easy money. Kevin Durant, LeBron, Kyrie, LeBron, <laughs> Anthony Davis out there. Um, no, I, that, I, but dude, that that's huge, right? I yeah. mean, a, a New well, York Los Angeles NBA finals with yeah. So along those lines, the Brooklyn Nets, uh, huge market. Brooklyn is enormous and people don't understand that because they view it as a, a subsidiary of a larger city uh, which in a sense it is but brooklyn is a mega city uh it, i believe it would be the third biggest city in america if it were its own city and not just a borough but that new york market is massive and i i would expect the nets to finally i know at the beginning when they moved to brooklyn and even when they were in new jersey for knicks fans to feel like this team's a joke. Like you're never going to take away from the Knicks. The Knicks are this brand that's that's become ingrained with being a New Yorker um, over the years. But now that the Nets, I see them competing in championships uh, if they stay healthy. I, I think you'll see a major sports brand. And I understand Mikhail Prokhorov uh, made his money on them in the sense that they already their their value has gone up quite a bit since moving to Brooklyn. Um, but I think it's a sleeping giant as far as 
being a, a major big city, big market franchise that could build a huge fan base in the coming years. One other thing I want to add that I see as huge, huge, huge this year is in college football, um, the transfer portal. I know that's something that ever since Justin Fields left Georgia, and I know I'm a Georgia guy, but I really do think that that changed things across the country. People realized if you get a hardship waiver, you can transfer wherever, whenever, and do what's in your best interest or what you feel is in your best interest. And this year with COVID-19, I think any player can get a hardship waiver. Any player can get a pass for for moving on the basis of something COVID-related, something related to the pandemic. Um, I think it's going to be a free-for-all in college football. I think you're going to see teams made up of free agents, essentially. Um, teams made up of veteran players from other teams, rival teams even. And it's it's crazy, and it's turning college football into more of a professional league where there is this free agency period. Guys are being recruited from one school to the next. The difference is there's no on on paper there's no money involved. Um, it's it's simply guys choosing where they want to go. And will we see a mega team form somewhere? Will a group of elite athletes decide to all attend one school, all transfer over to one school where they feel something special might be brewing. I think that's something that's very possible in 2021. Okay. You know what? I'm going to, nothing sort of popped in my head in terms of breakout star. So I'm going to jump, I'm going to piggyback on what you're just talking about, because I do think that that could be the, the big trend for 2021 coming out of COVID is a greater trend towards athlete empowerment and you know kind of hate mm-hmm. that word but because there, there's a couple of things on the agenda right the transfer portal has continually weakened the power of the schools and increased the power of the athletes we also have you know we, we started out talking about politics and how sports was part of the culture and affected by politics we have this issue of name image and likeness legislation that is working its way slowly through the ncaa at some point, that stuff is going to accelerate. And when name, image, and likeness kicks in, then suddenly we've got a situation where the players are in full control of their brands. And so you loosen restrictions on where you where you want to play. You give athletes the ability to pro, or give you athletes gain the ability to profit from their personal brands. And I think it's almost destined to, you know, we can predict how it's going to come out. Uh, You mentioned the Brooklyn Nets, right? Where a couple of guys, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant decided they wanted to play together, build championships and build their empire. There's no reason why we can't project that this is actually going to be a movement in college football as well, where some guys are going to get together and start to kind of build their brands while at the collegiate level before they move on to the NFL or the NBA. And with that, and like I said, we'll put a timestamp on this one of January 4th, and we can revisit this at the end of the year, my friend. I'm looking forward to all my predictions uh, being perfectly true. Uh, This time last year, I certainly definitely would have uh, predicted a pandemic that had us without live sports for the majority of the year. So I'm, I'm, I'm confident that I will have the same success in 2021. Awesome. Okay. And we're out.